Here at Doxaday Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. As we were busy listening to all the things that's happening in our city, the things that we are busy with, I hope that God is stirring in you something for change. It's so easy for us to sit back and wait for someone to bring change. And God is saying to each one of us, you are that change. And that is part of what we want to talk through in the series that we're busy with. There's certain things that we're going to be focusing on. Um, tonight, we are focusing on how that actually applies to you personally, how God wants you to actually be made new. Next week, we're going to look at how that applies to your neighbor. And finally, we're going to end at um, how that applies to our city. So I really want to encourage you, bring a friend. Bring your neighbor, bring someone that you know needs to hear that there are people that have hope for themselves and for the city around us. Amen? Yes. All right. So let's start. I see we have started with the sermon quite late. Thank you. Again, Central, every time that I hear, I get no time to talk through the things that I'm so excited about. So I said to Brent already, I'm going to ignore the clock because there's things here that God wants to talk about. And then Brent said, if he starts standing up, then I know, okay, I've, I've pushed it now. <laughs> All right. So Let's just quickly talk about this word generosity, all right? This is now something that I must say, since I've been in Doxa, I can't even spell it right anymore. For me, it's just generosity. I can't do it. So the other day, it came up on the screen as the actual generosity, and I got confused. I was like, that's wrong. That's not generosity. <laughs> but that's how much it's been ingrained in me, um, that when I think of generosity, I can't think towards myself. I immediately go outwards. But the thing is, if we do not have a very clear idea of how generosity first applies to us, then we're going to have nothing to give. Have you ever thought of that? It's the same principle of when you want to truly love your friends, your children, each other, your neighbor, then you need to understand what love looks like. And you need to have experienced that love so that you can give it to someone else. And that is actually what we're going to be talking about tonight. Because when I say the word generosity, it is who God is. God is generosity. It drips from Him. It is everything about Him. When He created us and when He put us here to reign and to rule, it was with such a generous heart. His heart for us was to come into this place that he created with so much love and attention, and he just gave it to us. He literally went, go, rule, multiply. This is yours. That's God's heart. And then, of course, beyond that, the one that we are very aware of, God is so generous that even when it came to you and me, how he was going to take that massive gap between us that sin had caused. He didn't just make a plan. He made the plan. He sent his own son to die in our place just so that he may have relationship with us. That is a generous father. And then we see in the New Testament, God actually says, if you ask 
for bread. Why would I give you a rock? I am the good father. Okay. We need to understand this before we go into tonight because if you don't have that in your head or in your heart about who God is, then maybe this is something that you and I are going to stand in faith for as we go through the sermon tonight. Maybe you are listening to this going, I can't relate to this. I, I don't understand when you say that God wants me to know that he is generous. Well, then, friend, then the sermon is for you. Then God wants you to hear tonight that he is a generous father. So for the next few weeks, we are actually looking at the woman at the well as an example. And there's three very important things that happens in her story that we want to look at. But for tonight... I want to encourage you, it's in John 4, verse 1 to 31. You can go and read it in your own time in this week. I always like to say this as a reminder. Don't just wait for us to bring the word to you. Go and read it for yourself. Take the word that I give you and then go in the week and go and explore. Go and sit with your dad. Go and wrestle with him. Find out what he wants to say to you personally because we can read the same scripture and you'll read it tomorrow morning and God's going to say something to you specifically because he's got relationship with you. All right, so go and read it, go and explore it. But I won't be able to have time to go through the whole passage, but let's just quickly introduce you to this, this woman. And I, I love the story. It's literally, okay, I can't say that. I've got so many favorite stories in the Bible. Let me just correct myself before I go into it. But this is one of many favorite stories that I have in the Bible because of how real it is. So raw, so in your face, like it's just, this is the, like the essence of just being human and here God steps in. Because when we meet this woman, we need to understand something very important just in terms of the historical context. So if you didn't know this, when in biblical times the woman went to the well to get water, and I think most of us obviously know that, but what is very important to understand is there's a reason why the ladies went in the morning. Firstly, for a very practical reason, because it's a lot cooler. Okay? No one wants to sweat when you have to go and get your water and come back and it's like dripping the whole time. So you go in the morning because then your face stays fresh and your hair stays fresh. And, okay, all the ladies in the house... Very practical reason, okay. We don't want to have to sweat the whole day, so you go early in the morning so you can freshen up. It's very practical, all right? But secondly, relationally. So in the morning, it wasn't just one lady that went. They all went together. The neighbors, the sisters, the aunts, that auntie's aunt, sister's friend's cousin, you know, like that kind of feeling. You went together in a community. This was the woman's time to bond to talk, to possibly gossip, let's be honest, to maybe share hopes and dreams for someone that they liked, okay, because the men weren't there. Definitely the children weren't there, so for all the moms in the room, it was a moment to breathe. And then when they got there, they obviously had the water, but it was a, a real bonding community moment, okay? There's something incredible about water that brings community together. And I'm saying all of this detail to you because of this thing. When we meet the woman, when does she come? What time of day? Come on. Who knows? In the afternoon. In the afternoon. Okay? Does, do we hear of any other woman coming with her? No, we don't. 
We meet her alone. So can you hear two important things? She's not coming in the morning. So practically she's coming in the afternoon, the hottest time of the day. Because just again, these, um, they carried it with like a, kind of like a wooden beam over their shoulders. And then it was these two massive, what is the right word? I'm thinking not a great, like a, what? A pale. Thank you. My husband's not here, help me. Okay. Um, okay, so it was really big and really heavy and they're carrying it up probably outside of the city. So she is doing this on her own in the hottest time of day. Okay, so practically, why was she doing this? Secondly, she's doing it alone. Isolated. No community. No cousin, aunt, friend, no one. She's alone. Another important thing to understand is she was a Samaritan woman. This is important because in the time that we're reading, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. Right? So I'm really layering this because I want you to understand this is not just some woman. This is very important why she came at a certain time alone and the cultural background that she came from. Lastly, for the ladies in the room. We live in a time where it's wonderful to be a woman. But in her day, a woman was seen as absolutely nothing. She had no status, she had no rights, nothing. Men ruled her life. So she was a woman, she was from the wrong culture, and clearly out of the community. Why? Because when we meet her, we find out she was of the wrong kind of woman. <laughs> because she had a very broken past. We never know why, we don't get those details, so I love to imagine reasons, but the point is, there's a lot of brokenness, there's a lot of hurt. We learn that she had had many husbands, and that she had also currently, she was living with a husband, or a man rather, that was not her husband. So she was completely rejected by her community. She was seen as worthless. She was already nothing because she was a woman, but she was even less than that. And so the reason she chose the afternoon and was purposefully so that she would not have to face the scrutiny of the other woman. Because can you imagine having to walk with them? And, I, and I, I don't know why, I'm like, I'm really, ladies, I think every woman in this, know, in this room knows what it feels like to be scrutinized by women. Our tongues can be very sharp sometimes. All the ladies are going, yes, I know. Okay. It's just how it is. Let's just, yes, the Lord made us very beautifully, but sometimes our tongues are not so beautiful. And so she chose it specifically to protect herself because she was an outcast. She was rejected. She was nothing. And then enters Jesus. She comes to the well, and now there's this man sitting there. And not just any man, a Jewish man, okay? Can you imagine the fear that she must have felt that there's a man here where she's normally alone to get away from everyone that hated on her, now it's not just a Samaritan man, it's a Jewish man. She must have expected the worst. And yet we don't see that she runs away or that she hides herself. 
She just goes on to do the work that she needs to do. And then in this beautiful moment, there is conversation. How? Jesus does the most simplest of things. He just says to her, can you please give me a cup of water to drink? He speaks to her. A woman that is not worthy to be spoken to on any level. And a Jewish man goes, please can I have something to drink? He treats her as a normal person. And of course she has a little, have the whole little banter, you can go and read about it. But then finally they get to this incredible moment in John 4 verse 13 to 15 where it says, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Isn't it beautiful? I love how childlike she just, where is this water? <laughs> Give it to me so I don't have to come here every day and be ashamed. She missed him completely. Because here's the beautiful thing in this moment, that God steps into a woman's life, a person's life, who is broken and rejected and outcast. She is seen as nothing and he starts speaking to her, and all of a sudden, he offers her something that no one else has ever offered her before. He offers himself as her living water. Why is he doing that? Because he recognizes in her life that this woman has been running from well to well to well, searching, hungry and thirsty for something that's going to fill this void inside of her that ke keeps her going from husband to husband and man to man or boyfriend to boyfriend. However that relation looked, she couldn't stop. And instead of going to this source, she kept going to someone that kept leaving her empty. And all of a sudden, do you hear how beautiful this is? That it's a man. I love this. That as a man, I mean, she has been shown no love, no compassion, no grace from men in her life, clearly, because you can see the pattern in her life. And here comes a man who is actually also God. How beautiful. I'm, yeah, I love that. And he says to her, I will give you water that will sustain every thirst in your life. This is a key moment in this woman's life because for the first time, she is not told, go away. You are not welcome. We don't want you. We don't even want you around us. You're not even welcome to sit with us. Suddenly, someone says, not only do I want to speak to you, I want to change your life. And I'm going to do it by giving myself to you as your living water. Because if you choose me, you will thirst no more. How many of us have been here have been in a place where we also run 
from one thing to another thing to another thing, desperate to fill a void that only Jesus can fill. He is such a generous God. To the point where he says, I want it to not just be some kind of water, but living water that will flow not just for you, but out of you. That brings us to the second key thing that happens. This happens a little bit later, but this is so beautiful. Because in this moment, they have another conversation where he says to her, she, she obviously asks him about the water, please give it to me. And he says, go and call your husband. And obviously we know God knows, because God knows everything. <laughs> so why did he ask that? to see what she's going to say, to give her an opportunity. Do you know what fascinates me? She doesn't lie to him. To, at this moment, she didn't know who he was. And she doesn't lie, and she says, I don't have a husband. <laughs> she exposes herself. And you know what's amazing? Jesus doesn't then step into that moment and makes her feel more ashamed and more condemned and more broken. You sinner, if you don't repent, you're never coming to heaven. So you must repent. Does that sound familiar? Okay. No one wants to be saved like that. Okay. What does Jesus do? He acknowledges it. He says, yes, you speak the truth. In fact, you've had many husbands. He just helps her with the truth. This is actually what we do in Life Center as well. We allow people to feel safe so that they can actually experience God's grace and His mercy. You know what Jesus does here that's incredible? He steps into her boat with her. Her boat that looks like shame, rejection, brokenness unforgiveness, so much sin. He doesn't point the boat out to her. He says, you know what? I know this, and I'm getting into the boat with you. He takes her shame, and he gives her an amazing reality. He reveals to her that not only can he understand where she is, and he can be with her in it, but he can save her from it. He becomes her savior. And no, no one else could ever have done that for her until that moment. You see, Jesus doesn't just give water. He doesn't just say, I will be that, that person in your life that's going to quench the thirst and it's going to flow. He says, I'm also going to take the things that you are ashamed of, that you feel broken about, that other people keep keeping against you. And I'm going to wash it clean. I'm going to save you from yourself. I'm going to save you from the things in your life, from the voices around you. I will be your savior. Please take note. He never once says to her, you need to work harder. You need to be better. You need to try harder. For the second time, he says, just come to me. Just come to me. I will give you everything you need for, for that thirst and I will save you. I will be your savior. And again, the question we have to ask ourselves, Lord, do I do that? Do I come to you? Or do I still believe 
that I have to work to come to you, that I have to go to the cross and bow and, and cry, and Lord, here I am again for the 50th time. Meanwhile, God's not even on, he's not on the cross. He's been risen. He's reigning. He's living in our lives, and he's saying, I'm here. Stop condemning yourself. Bring that stuff to me. Let's wash it clean. It's done. It's over. I am your savior, not your works, not even the church. Only Jesus. And then the last moment, which is so beautiful. John 4, verse 25 to 26. And this is actually a very, very important moment. This happened just before she spoke about him needing to save her. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Okay, so somewhere she knew the truth. Somehow she knew there was a promised Messiah. And this is like one of those cliffhanger moments in movies. <laughs> the lights go dim, the light falls on Jesus, and he says, then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. What is he saying to her? Not only am I going to give you water for your thirst, not only am I going to step into your shame, and save you, clean you from the things in your life. But I'm also going to come and reveal myself to you as your Messiah, the one that rules the world, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He reveals to her something precious. And do you know how significant this moment also was in New Testament? It was the first time that Jesus, it was when he launched his ministry. Through her, a woman, a Samaritan, a broken woman. And he chooses this moment to say, I am the Messiah. The thing that is beautiful here is this also awakened in her faith for herself. And why, why do I say that? What, is, what does that even mean? Faith that actually became personal, that becomes real. You see, the thing with all of us sitting here is, even the story, we can all probably tell the story to someone, share it with someone. We know it. We know the story of Jesus dying on the cross. We know the story of his resurrection. We know the story of the bread. And, you know, there's so many that we know. My question tonight is, is it real to you? Is it personal to you? Has it changed your life? Has it changed how you live? And if you are not exactly sure about that tonight, then you cannot answer yes. Because if this whole beautiful story of the woman in the well isn't made personal for you, then it isn't real. Then it's a beautiful story, but it doesn't make your life different. And it's, I guess it's a very scary thing that I'm saying, like, sure, Henry, it's quite hectic what you're saying right now, but I feel we need to say it out loud to each other. Otherwise, what are we saying? We're actually just being religious, right? 
There was such a powerful part in that scripture as well where he talks to her about the fact that the day will come where the worshippers will no longer be worshipping in the temple. Why, why did he say that? For the exact same reason I'm saying this. God is not interested in a religious act, in religious things, in religious moments. He wants personal, real, authentic relationships. That's why this moment was so incredible, because even that was personal. The way that he did it, how he spoke to her, how he revealed himself to her, and it awoke in her that faith can be for me. This can be for me. And she ran, screaming like a crazy person in the city, come and see the man who told me everything. Because suddenly in her, something changed. No longer was it just something she heard, something that she knew. It was now real. So how is it real for you and me? Ephesians 1. I'm not going to have time to read everything. But it paints the perfect picture of just how real God wants you and me to see what he has given us. He wants us to move from a place where we understand that we are no longer cursed. We are no longer, oh, my life, everything bad happens to me. Everything is so horrible. No, <laughs> that no matter what happens, I am blessed because I belong to Jesus. Because of who he is, I am blessed. I am no longer disqualified. I am no longer rejected and not seen and not wanted. Jesus says, you have now been adopted. You are chosen. Who you are matters because you belong to me. You are not an orphan running around. You are actually my son and my daughter. And that means you have been adopted into something much bigger than who you are. No longer are we guilty. Oh my goodness. How many times do we fall into that trap? You did something or something went wrong and now you feel, oh, I'm such a sinner. I'm guilty. You know, I'm, there's just no hope for me. No, God says, I have redeemed you. Your life is precious. You have been sanctified. You are righteous. Go and read the whole of that passage. I'm not going to have time to go through all of it. And finally, we have gone from being orphans, that feeling of no one wants me, no one cares about me. No one sees me. That lie that ministers to us. And God says, no, you are not an orphan. You actually have an inheritance. Your inheritance is me. Living water that constantly flows. The thing with all of this is, if we're going to speak about how God is making all things new, do you understand that he's saying that to you? God is looking at you tonight saying, you are the most important part that I created. I love you. I want to make you new. I want to start with you. For some, it is I have already started. Let's not stop. Don't run away. 
I'm busy with something beautiful. For some of us, we have been busy with this for a while. <laughs> Maybe there's a staleness. And God is saying, no, I want perfume. I want holiness. I want people to look at you and go, I can see living water flowing from this life. And I'm going to ask Brent to help me quickly with a very practical illustration. And I love this because this is actually something that we use at the schools. <laughs> Kids are very visual, but the joke is so are we. <laughs> God has made us very, very visual. And sometimes it almost feels like the penny doesn't drop if we don't see it, if we don't actually experience it. So these are normal little ping pong balls. And what they represent tonight are all the things in your life that is ministering to you. It can possibly be voices from your childhood, someone that didn't care for you, someone that didn't love you, perhaps you were bullied, perhaps you come from a broken family. And these voices that are constantly telling you, look, you're not loved, you're not cared for. Perhaps these are recent voices Voices that are telling you, you're never going to make it. I'm looking at all the students. Why are you studying so hard? Why? You're not going to get a job. You're not going to have a future. Why do you even try? And that's a very dangerous voice because this voice is telling you, just stop living. A voice that, that comes and steals who God sees you to be. Perhaps it's your own voice and I have to be honest this one is the hardest one because we are own worst enemies <laughs> that voice that when you look in the mirror and you just I don't see anything worthy I don't see a beautiful someone I don't see someone with intelligence I don't see someone who's going to make it in life I don't see myself with a family who's going to love me who's going to care for me just work harder. Just try harder. Very dangerous voice. And all these voices, whatever they represent, starts building an identity in your life. An identity that is filled with lies, filled with names, telling you who you are. The woman at the well. And perhaps you are this person tonight, filled with people and voices and things telling you who you are. And Jesus is coming tonight and saying no. Because in Revelation it says, I have come to make all things new. Why does that not apply to you and me? If we say that we follow Jesus, if we say that we believe what we read in the Word, that we believe what we sing in worship. I'm always going to do this. If we believe all the courses that we do, then why do we look like this? Because we need to do something with this. 
We can't just cover it up with a Jesus plaster and say, what would Jesus do? <laughs> no. It's not enough. It's still full of rubbish. What do we need to do? And this is what the kids love because it's so simple. And yet we grown-ups struggle. Here comes Jesus. What does he do? He says, come to me. What a mess, eh? Look at this. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are thirsty, for I will give you water that will never make you thirst again. Suddenly, everything that was in here, all the lies, all the attacks, all the nonsense, the rubbish, is gone. Because we have actually allowed what we say we believe to become who we are. I am the righteous daughter of Jesus Christ. Water. I feel like I want to keep going. I am the righteous daughter of Jesus. I've been made in his image. Who I am matters because I have an inheritance. And look at this. I love this now. It's one little stubborn one. But Brent actually gave me a heads up. He's like, this one's probably going to stay. <laughs> but isn't this true? This is real. Let's just be very real for one second. When we come to Jesus, does the world suddenly go away? Do lies suddenly not happen anymore? Do we suddenly just every day wake up and say, yes, I am the blessing to the world. Look at me. No. Stuff happens. Stuff happens. <laughs> Life happens. This is exactly why Jesus didn't come. I love this example last week with Lorraine. Who was here when he explained the baptism thing? Oh no, come on now. I can't tell that joke again. When he said, if Jesus is, if God's plan was for us to just get saved and go to heaven, then when we get baptized, he would just keep us there. <laughs> I can't believe you would here. It was so fun. Anyway, but it was so brilliant. I remember listening to it. I'm going, oh my word, he's right. I mean, isn't that just an easy fix? Get saved, doops, and there you go. But that's not what God wanted. Jesus didn't save us to take us out of this world. He saved us so that we can be the light to the world. So that we can be like crazy women running around saying, come, look at a man who knew everything. Unashamed, filled with love, overflowing. So that even when the world comes and says, are you sure? Oops. <laughs> the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Even if the world says, are you sure? When the snake comes and says, this, did, God, did God really say that? Did he really say he's living water? Then we can go, yes, he did. <laughs> but the point is, there's still stuff here. That we are still in the world. God's promise is not, I will take you out of the world. He says, I will fill you up so that when the world comes, you can withstand because you are mine. You are royalty, the heir of the king. 
You have been made completely new. That means when I say I love you, you do not go look for it in other places. You do not go searching for love and acceptance and any kind of celebration apart from me. You do not go looking for your future in all these false places. I am your future. And when I say trust me, you trust me because you know the truth. But it's very difficult to know the truth when you're filled with all these lies, all this stuff that keeps telling you it's not real. Faith, friends, needs to be real. And that's what changed in her life, and that's what needs to change in our lives. Otherwise, we are just busy with a pretty church Sunday. And it's really nice, and it's nice coffee, and it's nice gatherings, and it's just nice. But who has ever changed the world by being nice? <laughs> For God so loved the world. And when he says world, you can put your name there. For God so loved you that he gave everything to be with you. Before we go out and be generous with others, allow God to pour his generosity into your life. Can I ask that we quickly stand? I'm going to ask the band on Sako someone. <laughs> Bless us with those jazz chords. I want us to just take a moment and just close your eyes, just be in his presence. This is a very simple thing, but yet we struggle so much with this. We really struggle to accept that God loves us, to accept that who he is is enough for us. If, if we didn't, we wouldn't find ourselves in cycles of binge watching and going out and wanting nice things and going to find love in all the wrong places because we would know it's worthless. And I want to say this to you tonight. I'm not standing here as a perfect example. Not at all. The last two weeks, God has been challenging me so much. Over and over, he asked me, Henry, do you love me? And then the answer back, do you know that I love you? And I kept crying some Lord, I think I do. And he's like, that's not enough. You need to live this truth. Because if you live it, you wouldn't worry about what people think and whether you're perfect or not. So yes, I'm not standing here as a perfect example. That's the point. None of us are perfect. We have a perfect God. Thank the Lord. And that perfect God is saying tonight, I want you to come into my perfect space so that you can taste and see, actually taste and see that I am good. So I'm going to ask you, if there are you, those people in the room tonight that are like me, that you know that you're struggling and you're going, Lord, I know these things. I know these things. I can worship along everyone. But God is busy saying to you, is it real? 
Will you give up that stuff in your life right now? Am I really enough for you? Will you let go of those voices? Will you let go of the things that you think matter? Will you let go of what other people's opinions matter in your life? Are you willing to let go? Because if it's real, it will be like that. And if the answer is no, then God is saying, I'm right here. I've been here. I'm sitting here with flowing, beautiful, fresh, life-giving water. If that is you tonight, won't you raise your hand with me? Won't you raise your hand to God? Don't look around. This is not about anyone else but you and God. Raise your hand up. Up. This is a moment of saying, Lord, no more hiding. No more worrying about my neighbor. No more worrying about opinions and stuff. I choose you. I choose you. I choose you. You, I choose your opinion in my life. I choose your love in my life. I choose your fathership in my life. I choose who you say I am. I choose you. I choose you. Thank you, Father, for every hand. Thank you for every person tonight that is saying, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this is not something that we just want to say, Lord. It's what we want to live. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Can I ask that we say it together as a room? Even if you didn't put up your hand, then we say it together. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Again, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Again, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. One more time. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Father, we take that tonight and we say, Lord, may it come and fill our life. It is no longer I. It is no longer voices. It is no longer lies and deceit and false truths and things from my past and things that worry me about my future. It is no longer I. Christ who lives and breathes and sings and works and serves and loves and bestows mercy and grace, generosity. That is who lives in me. That is who I am. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for a moment of truth, for a moment of being real. Thank you for loving us that much. That you say, I've come to make all things new. And when I say that you are new, you are new. The God who said, let there be light, and there was light, says, you are new. You are good. Thank you for that. Everyone says, Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.